For some people, uh, solitude and isolation can of itself become a problem. Not for me. Hey, cassettes, welcome back to another episode of the Black Case Diaries podcast. <laughs> hey! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for tuning in for the end of Frightening February, the beginning of March. Yay. Yeah. It's yeah. okay. It bled just, into March. Just a little. We are three old friends learning everything we can about movies and TV and hopefully teaching you in the process. I'm Robin. I'm Marcy. And I'm Adam. Hey. Hey, so. hey. In the late 1970s, one of the most celebrated directors of all time, Stanley Kubrick, was in search of a new project. He sat in his office, flipping through books and throwing them against the wall when they didn't catch his interest. This went on for several days, until the thudding sound of rejection finally ceased. Kubrick's assistant went to check on the director, only to find him reading a book, Stephen King's The Shining. Uh, (laughs) Believe that. Yeah. The Shining was King's third novel, published in 1977. It followed the Torrances, a family living in a remote hotel for the winter. It was a deeply personal story, based on the author's own fears of the consequences of alcoholism and the destruction of family. His main character held many similarities to himself, a former teacher and aspiring writer, hoping to reconnect with his wife and child. When the book caught Kubrick's attention, he went full steam ahead on the project. He set out to make a film that would become one of the most iconic and celebrated in the horror genre. Even non-horror fans are familiar with The Shining with its enduring imagery and classic performances. The film was a slow burn and didn't get immediate praise or huge box office numbers. But over 40 years later, The Shining has an intense following of diehard fans. The film is no doubt a classic, and we thought it was the perfect way to end frightening February. So today, we're checking into the Overlook Hotel for an extended stay and learning all about The Shining. Um... No. You don't want to go to the Overlook Hotel, Adam? No, I don't. Oh. You don't want to ch- check oh, in? Adam. No, because they, you... don't, they don't even allow skiing up there. Ah, uh, well, if you don't have the shine, I don't think you have anything to worry about. Yeah. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah, sure. yeah, you won't see anything. Probably be pretty good. safe. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Although there are many differences, Stanley Kubrick's film is based on the Stephen King novel of the same name. After gaining success from Carrie and Salem's Lot, Stephen King decided to take a vacation with his family in Colorado. It was late September, and they chose to stay for one night at the Stanley Hotel. I think that's kind of funny, being that Stanley Kubrick did the movie. Because it was the last night before the hotel closed for the winter, they would be the only guests there. You know, part of me thinks, oh, how cool is that? Yeah. Just get, you know, get to do whatever, but also... Now, having yeah. seen this movie, I'm like, no. <laughs> There's a creepiness. Now it's it. creepy. Now we have to take a pilgrimage yeah. yes. and go stay at the Stanley oh, in yeah. room 217. No. I'll stay in room one. <laughs> <laughs> Wandering the halls of the spacious hotel, King decided it would be the perfect setting for his newest book. He said of the experience, the hotel seemed the perfect, maybe the archetypal setting for a ghost story. That night, I dreamed of my three-year-old son running through the corridors, looking back over his shoulder, eyes wide, screaming. He was being chased by a fire hose. I woke up with a tremendous jerk, sweating all over, within an inch of falling out of bed. Wow, interesting. Oh my gosh. A scary fire hose. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's gonna squirt (laughs) you. 
We wanted to lay out some of the key differences between the movie and the book. Like most of our episodes, this will have spoilers, but we wanted to warn you just in case you have not seen the film. And the experience relies on suspense and surprise. Yeah. If you haven't seen it yet, then <laughs> stop. Go watch it. Yeah. Or if you haven't seen it. it, no shame at all. Go yeah. watch it. Enjoy it. Have a good time. I but mean, we just don't want to ruin the experience for you. I mean, that was me until yeah. you know days ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. There aren't a lot of characters in The Shining simply because the plot forces the main characters to be isolated. One of the main characters is Dick Halloran, the head cook at the hotel. Halloran has a strong connection with Danny because both characters shine. If you're unfamiliar, many Stephen King characters have special abilities, and it's often referred to as shining, or the touch. In the film, Danny reaches out to Halloran for help when things start to get a little distressing. When Halloran appears at the hotel to help, Jack kills him with an axe. In the book, this does not happen, and Halloran survives. Why the frick did they do it in the movie then? <laughs> Gotta add something. Yeah. You can't you can't have a horror film and then, you know, the only blood is in the elevator. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But what about the shot of the, the two <laughs> the two kids? I guess blood that's everywhere. True. But that's like the past. You know, you don't you know, see it happen. Still horrifying. <laughs> that's like the past. <laughs> you need the high stakes today. Okay, sure. That's fine. But they could have made it be somebody else. They yeah. didn't give a yeah. shit about. One of the many iconic features of the film is the gigantic hedge maze on the property. In the book, the maze did not exist. However, there were large topiary animals. Wow. wow. Yeah. <laughs> Kubrick eliminated these from the movie because he felt that they would be too hokey on film. Oh, come on. Yeah, the <laughs> animals come to life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. I think I think definitely in 1980 it would have seemed too hokey yeah, because maybe. they definitely probably wouldn't they wouldn't have had a way to make these unless, giant right unless they bring in ILM and have them yeah. spend four years right, and right. millions of dollars yeah. on getting these things to move. They could have. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> would have been two or three years before we got the movie. <laughs> yeah. We weren't alive yet. We were we, we were patient. That's true. Yeah, we we could have waited. I've done my waiting. <laughs> The ending of the film doesn't match the book in several ways. Since there's no maze in the book, there isn't a dramatic scene where Danny loses Jack in the hedge maze, leaving Jack to freeze. Instead, the hotel burns down after Jack is able to break from his mania to warn Danny and Wendy, telling them to run. Jack then dies in the fire. In the film, Jack never has this redeeming moment. I think it's important it changes the whole changes the book and the movie so much Mm -hmm. to the you know they're kind of almost about different things just Mm -hmm. because of that ending yeah yep however kubrick had another idea for the ending that differed even more from the book stephen king was quoted in an interview with peter s Paracos saying when i first talked to kubrick some months ago he wanted to change the ending he asked me for my opinion on halloran becoming possessed and then finishing the job that torrance started killing Danny, Wendy, and lastly, himself. No. Then the scene would shift to the spring with a new caretaker and his family arriving. However, the audience would see Jack, Wendy, and Danny in an idyllic family scene as ghosts sitting together, laughing and talking. 
Luckily, King was able to dissuade him from this ending. Thank goodness. <laughs> no, no, no. I know Adam was upset about Halloran getting killed. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine the I would have been so mad if they flipped that character and made yeah. him the bad yes. guy the whole time. Yeah. Yes. No. Yeah, I guess Stephen King told him you can't, the audience will turn on you if you yeah. do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I, I think makes a lot of sense. I think Stephen King was correct because yes. Stephen King kills people all the time he kills mm-hmm. beloved characters uh-huh. he kills kids sure uh but i think it was really important in this story not to do it yeah it would have been t- i mean it would have been with all that suspense mm-hmm. and all of that build up to just have yeah. it end like that and everyone's gone you're like well yeah. what the mm-hmm. hell was any of this right for? Yeah. well because it would have felt like the movie focusing so much on jack's descent yeah. into madness yeah and then if you know just switching and then just suddenly Oh, it could just be any. Oh, oh, the, we oh. haven't watched this character slide into madness, but mm-hmm. he's mad now. You know, he's <laughs> right. just gonna do it. Yeah, and it it would be it would seem really weird. Yes. Yeah. No thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Since The Shining has such a dedicated following, many fans have assigned their own meaning to the film. There are enough theories about the movie to make up an entire documentary that uh, Marcy and Robin took a look at. Yeah, we yeah. sure did. Oh boy. The documentary is called Room 237. We will link to a Vulture article that lays out the four major theories of the film. Yes, so we don't have to go into all of them. Yes, go check out the blog. Yeah. Stanley Kubrick offers no explanation for his films. He believed that they should speak for themselves. He believed that a good critical review did not reveal to him anything about his work, but only served as a marketing tool to attract more viewers. In light of this, there have been numerous attempts to explain the meaning behind The Shining, ranging from the minute detail to the most blatant. Yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, you guys were just explaining a couple to me. Yeah. And it just felt so... (sighs) Yeah. Nitpicky, like... It can be... Huge stretch. Yeah. Yeah. The the movie's a head-scratcher, for Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Uh, It's a thinker. Yeah. And... uh, (laughs) Of course, because of that, a lot of people think about it, you know, and there's lots of thoughts about yeah. what, what it's really about. One of the most famous theories is the film is about the Holocaust. Viewers have pieced together clues, like Jack's German brand typewriter, the number 42 appearing on the jersey Danny wears, and the image of an eagle. The eagle was a symbol of the Nazi party. Jack wears an eagle shirt in one scene, and the name brand of his typewriter means eagle. Yeah. Mm. So there's eagle stuff, and then also, I guess, 42, 1942 was, according to a German historian, was when Nazi Germany decided to carry out the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. So that's why those yeah. those placements, yeah. people think, mean that the movie's about the Holocaust. Mm. There's a lot more, too. Another theory is that the film is about the historical genocide of Native Americans. There is Native American artwork and imagery in the hotel, particularly a sand painting that features two nearly identical people wearing the same shade of blue as the twins that Danny sees in the hallway. We will link to a 1987 article of the Washington Post about this theory. Yeah, this is a pretty prevalent one. Yeah. This is one that I see even more than the... Than the Holocaust theory. Really? But this one seems to be the one that was like one of the earliest ones. People kind of came up with shortly after the movie. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's just been around for a long time. 
Yeah. So, but it's interesting. It's certainly an interesting thought. Yeah, man, yeah. it's weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're all really interesting. Yeah. Theories. I would say go watch that documentary. Everywhere yeah. I read, it got lots of praise. People yeah. loved that documentary. Oh, there was mm-hmm. a lot of attention on that. Yeah. On that particular film. So here's a little rundown of the movie if you haven't seen it. Yeah. But you don't want to watch it because you're obviously listening. <laughs> Recovering alcoholic and aspiring novelist Jack Torrance accepts a job as a caretaker for the Overlook Hotel in the Colorado Rockies. Hoping that the isolation will help him finish his book, Jack moves his wife and his son, Danny, to the hotel with him for the winter. As they stay, Jack becomes more and more influenced by the dark nature of the hotel. His son, Danny, is gifted with something called The Shining and his ability to see the horrors of the hotel, past and present. Yikes. (laughs) Yeah. 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 If you've never seen The Shining, you have no idea why it's called that. Mm-hmm. Usually, me, yeah, I yeah. had no clue. Yeah, it's like I know the movie's about a guy with an axe. You know, I know <laughs> that there's like twins and there's an elevator of blood. Why is it called The Shining? <laughs> yeah. So, let's talk about how the movie was made. Yay! After reading The Shining, Stanley Kubrick teamed up with Diane Johnson to begin writing a screenplay. Diane is a novelist, and this was her first screenplay to ever work on. Talk about a big one! Yeah. Jeez. Oh, oh man. my. To say the screenplay was a work in progress would be an understatement. It changed several times before and during shooting. Actors sometimes learning new lines the day of. That's wild. Yeah. Yes, but by take 35, they knew their lines. Right, Mm -hmm. that's true. Yeah. (laughs) That's true. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The script would be rewritten so many times that each time a new script came out, it was put on different colored paper in order to easily see who had the newest versions. You you imagine being the guy who goes to the table read and you have the pink paper, but everyone else has the blue paper. Oh, shit. And it's like, it's it's like coming to class without your homework. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. You miss miss today's changes, huh? No. Oh, Stanley's going to be mad. This led to Jack Nicholson to say that he stopped looking at the first drafts and only took the script from the current day in order to film that scene. Yeah, he would. Do- <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, at that point, why put yourself through knowing yeah. like why five different versions of the yeah. same script? Yeah, yeah. It was so funny because they, the documentary that we watched, yeah. Stanley's mom was like, "Aren't you exaggerating?" Yeah. When Jack Nicholson says that, and he goes, "No, <laughs> I'm not." <laughs> Stanley Kubrick was famous for his perfectionism. He mapped out shots with a telescope device and reportedly didn't print anything unless it was the 35th take. (laughs) You imagine doing first take and you know, you're like, why are we even doing this? Yeah. (laughs) Can we just skip to take 35? (laughs) Right. And then you sit, like, what if you sit in on the editing and they use take one? Oh, Oh, you'd be like, what the fuck? That's why no one should ever sit in on that. Yeah. No, no, you just. You just pretend. (laughs) Because of this, the film took 56 weeks to shoot, putting it way behind schedule. Part of this was also due to the Overlook Hotel set catching fire and having to be rebuilt. Um, something (laughs) haunting going on. (laughs) The crew and actors filmed six days a week, up to 16 hours a day. This reportedly added up to about 1.3 million feet of film by the end of shooting. Good grief, man. Stanley, I mean, yep. 
I mean, clean it up a little. You? <laughs> you got notes for Stanley Kubrick? Yeah. <laughs> Kubrick felt that no matter how great the script seemed on paper, once the actors are rehearsing it, you became painfully aware of what you will be missing if you stick faithfully to the script. Along this same note, he felt that if you planned out shots and angles beforehand, you will miss opportunities to have the best results for the scene. I think it's that's got to be a bit of an inner turmoil because you're like, yeah. I have to plan absolutely everything. But also, let's show a little bit off the cuff at the same time, you know? Yeah, let's just see what happens. But yeah. also, everything needs to be exactly this, like, perfect. <laughs> but let's just see what happens, you know? Like, it's, yes. <laughs> that's got to be a tough, you know, inner turmoil. And then. Yeah. Everybody on set having to go through that mm-hmm. at the same time. I know. I mean, that would put me on edge. If yeah. I was the actor, that's that's it's, one of the things you're that looking would at, be like, yeah. oh God. Yes. You're looking at the script and you're thinking, do I say exactly what's on the script? Will that make him happy? I should. Yeah. And then you do exactly what's on the script and he goes, oh, don't read exactly what's on the script. And it's like. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. And then, and then the <laughs> but... next take, you kind of ad lib a little. And he's like, no, that's not in the script. Is that in the script? I don't think so. You know, it's. <laughs> yeah. So the exterior shots of the hotel were that of an actual place called the Timberland Lodge. The interior, however, was a soundstage in England. In order to not scare customers away, the lodge requested that the book's hotel number, 217, be changed to one that did not exist. Yeah, ah, smart. that was nice. Yeah, yeah, because 217 is actually the room that Stephen King stayed in. Right. Mm. But maybe nowadays people would be like, oh, I want to stay in that room. Yeah, there are yeah. some people out there who like this. Oh movie. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They probably are kicking themselves a little bit because it yeah. could be, it could have been like a really cool... Mm-hmm. If I were them, I'd have like at least one room that looks like a oh, room yeah, from the, make from it the up hotel. From the, yeah. yeah. In an interview with John Hofsess for the Soho News, Kubrick said that every detail in those sets came from photographs of real places, very carefully copied. These photographs were taken from several different places. This would explain the cultural references in the art and decoration throughout the hotel, something that viewers have combed over and analyzed for decades. Yes. Uh, relentlessly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and here it could just be because another hotel had it that way. Yep. Yeah. Nothing's an accident, Marsha. Yep. Yep. Well, I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't think that Stanley Kubrick made an accident. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> It'd mean, be impossible. I think he set it up so that there's no way he could make a mistake. Yeah. It's exactly what he wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not actually him wanting to have the perfect movie. It's all just to cover himself. He's like, I'm not. <laughs> I didn't make any like, mistakes. I was being super careful. <laughs> super duper. So the lighting. In order to simulate the intense light that would be coming from the windows of a hotel in the high latitudes in the winter, they use 750 1,000 watt bulbs. <sighs> like, that is a lot of wow. light, guys. It's so hot in there, probably. They're sweating a bit. Yeah. Yeah. These intensely hot bulbs would be what caused a fire to the set. Aha. Mm -hmm. It's all coming together. (laughs) The chandeliers were also 1,000 watt bulbs, but on a lower voltage in order to create a warm glow of light compared to the harsh, bright light of the windows. That's awesome. I think it's funny they didn't just, like, get different wattage bulbs. Lower (laughs) wattage. Yeah. (laughs) 
they needed that heat. You yeah, know? they yeah. got to make them sweat. Yeah, they had to make it just as hot as possible, but not as bright. Just as hot. Yeah. The newest invention at the time for filmmaking was the Steadicam, and Kubrick was a fan. He was even able to get the inventor, Garrett Brown, to come and film the movie. Wow. Garrett, yeah, pretty neat. <laughs> Garrett did not mind the fact that Kubrick wanted to do take after take because he was able to learn more and improve his invention. One instance of doing this is when they inverted the device to be able to track Danny, who was low to the ground. This lower angle conveyed the vastness of the hotel, and the steady cam allowed them to move fluidly with Danny as if being dragged behind him. I love those shots so yeah. much. Yeah. And it, it's cool to watch them do them, mm -hmm. you know, because it's like, it, I, you don't even think about it. If you're really into the movie, you don't even think about how the shot's being done. Right. Yeah. But you just see, you know, this guy with the steady cam chasing, <laughs> chasing Danny when he's, you know, doing yeah. his little big wheel throughout the hotel. Yeah. <laughs> I think the big wheel is such a great part of this, too. It, oh, yeah. It really is. It allows Danny to get into corners of the hotel quickly, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. to yeah. see the scary things. But at the same time, it's like, that looks like so much fun. <laughs> yeah. I want to do that. And he's so yes. intense about it. And that's what I love, too. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. he's just like, pedal, 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 pedal. You know, yeah. like, he's not yeah. he's not taking his time. He's not, mm -mm. it's not a mosey, you know? No. <laughs> it, it always got me in the big room that Jack would write. There's, like, these rugs. Mm -hmm. And he would, like, go over and he'd clunk, clunk on one. And then it would be, yeah. like, the hardwood and then clunk, clunk. <laughs> and then just, I don't know. There's just yeah. something kind of nice oddly about that like thumping sound when he passes over them yeah it's... It, it really puts you in the space yeah mm -hmm. it's very much what a kid would do mm -hmm. yeah no con no regard for the noise that they're making or yeah you know kids <laughs> Kids are in a hurry all the time. Yeah. They just right. run around and they just go really fast. Yeah. Stanley Kubrick and Ron Ford created a special wheeled chair to ride while filming, being able to capture lots of smooth tracking shots and keeping up with actors as they ran through the hotel. <laughs> yeah, they don't want to do any running themselves. <laughs> it's kind of funny to watch the music. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> while the visuals of The Shining surely give us an unsettling vibe. The music helps to elevate the suspense even more. In order to bring the movie to life, Kubrick used music from the Polish composer Krzysztof Penderecki. His pieces were also known to bring the creep factor to The Exorcist as well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The main title and Rocky Mountains were written and performed by Wendy Carlos and Rachel Elkind, specifically for The Shining. These two pieces were the only ones that did not already exist. Cool. Yeah. I love the main title of this. <laughs> yes. So good. These two both also worked on A Clockwork Orange and the recent Ready Player One soundtracks. Hey. Of course, too, Ready Player One, they've got that big shining scene. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. That's right. Wendy Carlos also composed the music for Tron. Yeah. Hey. Love yeah. Tron. Um, but I will say one thing. While watching, I was getting sick of those stings. Those musical stings where we just yes. build, oh. build, 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 build. Tuesday. <laughs> Stop it. You're scaring me for no reason. I love that. That was so funny. <laughs> Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. It would just do that, and I 
it worked flawlessly to make me very unsettled because I didn't know whether it was just going to be a transition to the next scene or something was going to happen each time. And you didn't know what you were missing. Yeah, but I was just getting, I was like, stop it. Please let me go. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So obviously, like we mentioned earlier, there aren't that many people in this movie. There aren't that many characters, but. Yeah, not that many main characters. Yeah. Yeah. We're giving you a rundown anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. First, we have, obviously, Jack Nicholson as Jack Torrance. Little pigs, little pigs, let me come in. Not by the hair on your chinny-chin-chin. Then I'll huff, and I'll puff, and I'll blow your house in. Nicholson is a well-known actor that has a wide range. He has been in things such as A Few Good Men, As Good As It Gets, Chinatown, and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I think that was the one that made him famous. And then by the yeah. time this movie was being made, he was a movie star. Yeah, oh, yeah. he was big. Yeah. yeah. And it was just really interesting to see behind the scenes stuff and the way he interacted with people. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. made this comment where he was like, if you're famous, you meet more people. In one year, than you will, than normal people meet in their lifetime. Yeah, yeah. and it's like that's got to be true. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I believe it. And actually, in that same thing, there's a point where Shelley Shelley Duvall's like, "I'm a little bit jealous of all the attention <laughs> that Jack is." Like, think about that for a second. Yeah, yeah. Shelley Duvall is jealous of somebody else getting attention. Like, hello? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. If any of us, like, oh my God, Shelly Duvall. I know. Hello? Also, I'm not jealous at all. Just, yeah. just, just in case anyone True. was wondering, if anyone's going to ask, I, I'm not yeah. jealous. So I'm cool. Don't need no, that. Yeah. I don't need that. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. But, it, but it is. It, it, it says a lot when another celebrity, who yeah. also probably gets a heck of a lot of attention, mm-hmm. is jealous of the amount of attention somebody else is getting. Right. Yeah. Yep. Speaking of which... Shelley Duvall is also in the movie as Wendy Torrance. <laughs> Shelley has retired from acting, but has been in Popeye, Three Women, and Annie Hall. It was her role in Three Women that got her the part of Wendy in The Shining. When Kubrick offered her the part, they had never met, and there wasn't a script yet. He just told her to read the book. She also produced the critically acclaimed show Fairy Tale Theater, and had a television show that featured animation and stories called Shelley Duvall's Bedtime Stories. Yay! I yeah. feel like I might have it seen that so once cute. or twice. I oh. I used to watch Fairy Tale Theater. Yeah. Uh, we recorded it off TV. That's the remember I talked we talked about Robin Williams playing the frog? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's what that's from. That's uh-huh. The Frog Prince. Yeah. Very nice. Next we have Danny Lloyd as Danny Torrance. It's it's nice that they got to keep their names. I know, yeah. Danny and Jack both got to keep <laughs> yeah. their names. Yeah. Sorry, Wendy. <laughs> yeah. Danny was not in very many things and is most known for The Shining. He does appear very briefly in the sequel, Dr. Sleep, as a father in the crowd of baseball parents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Since Danny was very young at the time of filming, he was told that he was working on a drama and not a <laughs> horror film. Oh, wow. Look at that. Mm-hmm. He was shielded by Stanley Kubrick of the more terrifying scenes. If you notice, if you watch the movie carefully, you realize that some of the more terrifying things, Danny is never on screen mm-hmm. the same time as those terrifying things. So yes. You can get the feeling that those shots were done at different times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
He was chosen out of 5,000 young applicants. During his audition, Danny improvised the classic finger wiggle as his imaginary friend Tony speaks. Stanley Kubrick liked the improvisation and kept it in the film. Yeah. How cool is that? That is super cool. Pretty cool. Come on, Ed. Wake up. You just had a bad dream. Everything's okay. Danny can't wake up, Mrs. Torrance. Scatman Crothers played Halloran. Scatman appeared in many television shows like Laverne and Shirley, Magnum P.I., and The Transformers. He was also in movies like Bronco Billy, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and the voice of Scat Cat in The Aristocats. Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) So good. When Marcy told me that, I said, that is his voice. (laughs) Immediately, yeah. yeah. Little cat's on the level. (laughs) (laughs) Barry Nelson was Ullman the employer. Barry Nelson also popped up in many TV series. Other movies that he was in were Airport, A Guy Named Joe, and Shadow of the Thin Man. Philip Stone was Grady, who was the previous caretaker. Philip is also known for being in A Clockwork Orange, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and Flash Gordon. Joe Turkle was Lloyd. Joe has been in Blade Runner, Paths of Glory, and The Killing. Anne Jackson as the Doctor. A few things Anne was in were Dirty Dingus McGee, So Young, So Bad, and How to Save a Marriage and Ruin Your Life. Wow. I think those are mutually exclusive. Oh, my gosh. Tony Burton as Durkin, who provides Halloran with a vehicle to reach the Overlook. Tony was a professional heavyweight boxer and is most known for his appearances in the Rocky movies as the Corner Man. Hey, that's pretty cool. Yeah. David Baxt and Manning Redwood played the Forest Rangers. Important. Small but important roles. (laughs) Well, no small parts, right? (laughs) Exactly. Lisa and Louise Burns as the twins. Those creepy, creepy twins. Yeah. (laughs) 37 years later, the two talked about what it was like. The dresses were not comfortable and made of an awful material. (laughs) Oh, no. On top of this, the costume designer only had the two dresses, and so therefore they had to shoot the bloody scene last for fear that they could not recover them from any stains. Uh (laughs) I mean, that just makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This also meant that Kubrick could only do very few takes, which was against his style of directing. Yeah. Oh, so sorry. It basically <laughs> meant one take. And, yeah. And that, I can't imagine. <laughs> and he was probably like, you know, it's fine. It's fine because they're just going to lay on the floor for this yep, take. Exactly. They're yep. not moving. Uh, they're not just saying position anything. them perfectly. Like, yeah, position them exactly perfectly, and then we'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> According to Lisa, Kubrick was only shooting with one steady cam, so he would do just one shot, but have them roll several times with the same lines. Mm. In the Entertainment Weekly article titled The Shining, These Twins Still Want to Play With You, <laughs> Lisa said, To us, we weren't saying our lines any differently. He just heard something different every time. Aww. 
That's very funny. They just just between themselves, like, we're not going to change it, right? Yeah. (laughs) Come and play with us. Come and play with us, Danny. Forever. And ever. And ever. The girls auditioned because Kubrick was looking for sisters, but not twins. They speculated years later that Kubrick might have gone with two sisters of different ages, as they are in the book, if they hadn't auditioned. The only reason he did it was because they he just thought twins were creepier. He was yeah. just going to have regular sisters. sisters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. <clears throat> but anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Still terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, if you're a twin, then you're <laughs> creepy. <laughs> Sorry, but yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing. What it is, is when you talk at the exact same time, mm-hmm. that's when it gets like extra creepy. Yeah. 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 That's creepy whether you're twins or not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to take a little break just to hear the promo for our other show, an audio drama called No Small Parts. When we think about our favorite movies, what characters come to mind? Usually, it's the charismatic lead, or the quirky best friend, or the maniacal villain. But what about the characters that pass through the story in relative obscurity? Sometimes they don't have names, and they may not even have dialogue. But even if these characters go largely unnoticed, their parts might have altered the course of the film. Through this show, we're uncovering the stories of these background heroes by assigning them identities. These are original stories about non-original characters, profiles on people you don't remember from the movies you'll never forget. And in the end, we'll seek to prove that screen time and number of lines are inconsequential. In all our favorite films, there are no small parts. Acting is tough work. And with every movie, there are challenges on set. For this movie, though, there are some particularly challenging moments for a couple of the actors. The film took over a year to shoot, which was difficult on the actors for various reasons. For one, the actors were mainly American, and they filmed at Elstree Studios in England. This meant they were away from their families for long periods of time. Jack Nicholson was away from his daughter. You know, Shelley Duvall was away from her parents. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it was just it was just tough. Shelley Duvall was sick during most of the filming, suffering from dizzy spells and other ailments. Mm-hmm. She was incredibly dedicated to the role and rented a flat near the set, living alone for over a year with a dog and two birds. Aww. Something, I guess. Yeah. yeah. A nice doggo. That's what I would, I mean, if I had, couldn't have anybody, mm-hmm. I, I'd, yeah. I'd get some animals. Yeah. Duvall also had difficulty crying as much as she did for the film. Remember, Kubrick sometimes did hundreds of takes for scenes, and Duvall was crying in most of them. She told Roger Ebert, And in my character, I had to cry 12 hours a day, all day long, the last nine months straight, five or six days a week. Oh, my God, That's got to be so <clears throat> exhausting. Yeah, yeah. Mentally exhausting. Yeah. Physically. Oh, yeah. yeah I can't. Oh, I cannot imagine that. One of the most controversial points of the film is how Shelley Duvall was treated on the set of the film. Although Duvall herself has said that she felt Kubrick treated her a certain way to elicit a stronger performance, some of those that witnessed it weren't as convinced. (laughs) (laughs) 
In a Hollywood Reporter article released earlier this month, Angelica Houston, who was living with Jack Nicholson while he was filming the movie, was quoted saying, I got the feeling, certainly through what Jack was saying at the time, that Shelley was having a hard time just dealing with the emotional content of the piece. And they didn't seem to be all that sympathetic. It seemed to be a little bit like the boys were ganging up. That might have been completely my misread of the situation, but I just felt it. And when I saw her during those days, she seemed generally a bit tortured, shook up. I don't think anyone was being particularly careful of her. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we watched that making of The Shining. Yeah. And Marcy watched it and immediately brought this up to me. Yes. Mm-hmm. When I watched this little clip, it was just a cute little making of. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this will be cool and stuff. But just there was always this dread when she was, yeah. you know, talking to Stanley Kubrick or thing, you know, yeah. things were happening. And I was just like, I just feel like. She's not being treated right. And they don't, you know, they don't really say that. They just point to the fact that she was sick during it and stuff. But I just was like, yeah, something's off. I I just I would not like to be in that situation. (laughs) Yeah. I felt really, really bad for her when they were doing that scene of her supposed to come outside. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay, snow, all this stuff. And action. Shelly. Right. And then she doesn't come out because. On the her radio, they just said, "Oh, wait, we're not ready." Yeah, yeah. She didn't hear. She didn't hear the action. Yeah. So then Stanley comes over to her, and rather than saying, "Hey, ready? Let's all right, let's do it." Yeah. He's like, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" I'm like, "What are you? Come on!" Yeah, yeah. It was a mistake. Like, relax, my guy. Yeah. (laughs) What I mean is, like, chill. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like you're gonna do 35 takes anyway. (laughs) Yes. Right. Just like she didn't. There's no way she purposefully didn't listen to you mm-hmm. saying action. She's yeah. a professional. Right. She's not going to yes. do that. Yeah. Relax. You know? And <laughs> there, I felt really bad for her. There then. was one particular thing that really disturbed me in the cut of this little film mm-hmm. of the making of. And what they did was they had Shelly talking about how she was jealous of the attention that Jack Nicholson was getting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then immediately after she says that, they cut to her being sick on the She's floor. Like, yeah. Yeah. Right. And people are taking care of her. And it you you just feel that connection that they want you to make. Yep. Just that they want you to be like, oh, she wants attention, so she's acting sick. Yeah. Nonsense. And I felt that very unfair. Yeah, it was yeah. a super unfair cut. It, yeah. And it was obvious that like, you know, Whenever you're watching anything Mm -hmm. and it's been cut and edited, obviously there are going to be certain points that the creator wants to get across. Mm -hmm. That really felt unfair. (laughs) And also, I got so angry. Yeah, I just felt so angry watching it because there was a scene where she was talking about her hair falling out. Ah, yes. And, you know, he walked over, Stanley Kubrick walked over and picked up the hair that she said had fallen out. And he was like, clumps of hair. Look at this. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. And you can still see it on camera. Yeah. Audibly making fun of her. Yeah. You know, say, you know, he's acting. telling her he's not sympathetic with her and yeah. that it won't help her and, if he and, is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, <sighs> and just kind of humiliating her, at yeah. least trying to, you yeah. know, by mm-hmm. calling it out and put, you know, making sure it's on the film. Mm-hmm. And it just, that did not make me. Yeah. That did not make me think, wow, what a faker. That made me feel yeah, like, like 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. She's I was being mad. ignored. Yeah. <laughs> that made me upset. Yes. So we just we hope that filmmaking now has come a ways that the actors are being cared for <laughs> yeah. and that this doesn't happen to to people now. And you know, you can you can say like, oh, Kubrick is a different kind of director and he mm-hmm. pushes his actors to the yeah. point where it's perfect and oh it's fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Blah blah blah. There's a limit to all this. Yeah. Man, you can you can strive for the perfect mm-hmm. film, but you're you when you're when you start to destroy a person <laughs> like emotionally and physically yes th- i think you're the problem yeah. now you know mm-hmm. you can't you can't, we're all human mm-hmm. you know if yeah. you want absolute perfection you're gonna need robot actors or something <laughs> like, and that's not and that's just not gonna happen you know what yeah. i mean yeah so yeah whatever dude yeah and and she never did say anything bad nope. about right, kubrick right. or the way that he chose to direct his film but so i'll do it he's no <laughs> <laughs> he's obviously he's obviously a genius and he yeah. obviously was completely in control of his craft mm-hmm. he knew exactly what he was doing but yeah she's never said it but other people who have witnessed it have definitely got the feeling and have have stories mm-hmm. so yeah yeah so here are a couple of interesting little tidbits about this movie. Just as in our last episode, Poltergeist, this movie has connections to Toy Story. Yay! As a tribute, the, the carpet within Sid's house is the famous carpet from the Overlook Hotel. Yeah. <laughs> which is ridiculous. But in a slightly different color. Yeah. Lee Unkrich, who has had a hand with all four Toy Story movies, is such a fan of The Shining that he has a website dedicated to the ephemera of the classic film, as well as a book that will be released soon, which details the behind the scenes of the film. I know. I was like, maybe we should po- postpone this episode till this book comes yeah. out. We could read it. Get more info. <laughs> In 2017, Universal Orlando did their 27th annual Halloween Horror Night. Every year, they create houses based on specific movies and television shows. During that year, they created a house for The Shining, uh, in which they were able to replicate the wall of blood using 80 PSI water cannons inside a glass vestibule, where the blood, once finished, would filter down a slanted floor to be refilled back into the cannons. It took them three days to create it. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. That'd be a pretty wild um, thing to see. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what's going on? And then... You see that, it's like, oh my gosh, (laughs) unmistakable. One scene from the film is in the Guinness Book of World Records for the most retakes for one scene with dialogue. Hmm. It is the scene where young Danny and Chef Dick Halloran discuss what it means to shine. My grandmother and I could hold conversations entirely without ever opening our mouths. She called it shining. And for a long time, I thought it was just the two of us that had to shine to us. Just like you probably thought you was the only one. But there are other folks, though mostly they don't know it or don't believe it. The take was done (laughs) 148 times. Heck yeah. My goodness. Yes. Dude. Woo. We have found sources citing another scene in the film that has the record holder with 127 takes. And that's the scene with the bat on the steps. Yeah. Oh, oh man, that would have been a hard one to do. Oh, yeah. Yep. 
But according to the Guinness World Records website, this scene holds the record. Yeah. yeah. I just wow. wanted to mention it because I found it in a lot of places. That, that was the, the other scene was the one with the record. But it is, according to Guinness, this yes. is the one. Yes. So, in the U.S., The Shining grossed about $45 million. It was not a hit at first. It was especially hit by critics' reviews that were a mixture of confusion with the mm-hmm. openness, openness of the story, disappointment that it was not more like the book and its characters, and dislike for the acting within it. <laughs> that's, that's pretty crazy, because if yeah. there's one thing that you can really appreciate no matter what, is yeah. the acting. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> instead of being nominated to win Oscars or Golden Globes, it instead was nominated for Razzies, which this was the first year they did the Razzies. <laughs> wow. As the worst director category and worst actress category for Shelley. Come on. Yes. <laughs> so they did not win those Razzies, but they okay. were nominated. I can't even believe that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> How rude. However, the film's VHS release helped make it a classic. More and more people enjoyed it, and even Roger Ebert had a great review of it, giving it a full four stars and saying that the movie is not about ghosts, but about madness and the energies it sets loose in an isolated situation primed to magnify them. Yeah. I'm glad that Roger Ebert liked the movie. Yeah. So, you know... Yeah, all you so, other critics. Yeah, yeah, so everyone has to like it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. He's the final word. Yeah. So obviously the movie is based off of Stephen King's source material, right? Mm-hmm. So one notable critic of the film was Stephen King, who famously hated the adaptation. Over the years, he has gone back and forth with his disdain on the film. This could be confusing to those that love the film, since King has been happy with unfaithful adaptations of the stories before. Hmm. Some believe that Stanley Kubrick teased the author with some of the changes he made to the story. For example, in the book, Jack's car is red and the snow cat is yellow. The film reversed the colors for no apparent reason. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> the likeliest reason that King still dislikes this interpretation of his book is because the intention of the film doesn't match the intention of the novel. The stories don't necessarily have the same meaning. Stephen King felt that Kubrick's Jack didn't have any of the heart that his version did and didn't seem to love his family at all, even in the beginning. You know, I kind of got that. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. that marriage didn't seem yeah. happy mm-hmm. yeah. from the beginning. Right, exactly. This is especially apparent by the different endings. King's version had Jack fighting his impulses in the very end, redeeming himself by letting his family go. Kubrick's version gave Jack no redemption, focusing more on his descent into madness and man's capacity for violence. Many would speculate that this upset the author because the story was so personal to him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, like you said early on, mm-hmm. it changes the entire meaning. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, of course, Stephen King would notice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, Stephen yeah. King was so scared he would hurt his family because of his addictions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was so afraid that that would happen. And so this was his fear. Yeah. It you was know? basically autobiographical. Yeah. <laughs> this was his fear. And, you know, Jack was a lot like him. And, you know, to see Jack get changed into this person that's almost manic in the very beginning mm-hmm. and just kind of gets pushed yeah. a little bit by the hotel instead of somebody that ultimately loves their family 
and is driven to do it despite mm-hmm. what, you know, their deepest fears and yeah. urges. Yeah. Yeah. King was also outspoken about the portrayal of Wendy in the film. It wasn't necessarily Duvall's performance that upset him, but more how the character had been changed. King felt that his version of Wendy was much stronger, and that Kubrick's version had been reduced to a screaming dishrag. Oh my goodness. King felt the film overall was misogynistic, which is interesting with the context of how Duvall was treated on set. Yeah. You know, it's, mm-hmm. uh, some things. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Click like that. Mm-hmm. It, it's those kinds of things that an author would pay attention to when mm-hmm. they're watching a film adaptation of their story, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, well, okay, so this is how I did it. What's different? Yeah. You know, all they notice is the differences. Yeah. Yeah. So they're going to, he's going to. They're going to wonder why yeah. those differences are Why there. is she such a nothing? Why doesn't she, like, do what I had her do? And, you yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really yeah. feel I feel like the character should get a little more credit than that in in the movie The Shining. I feel yeah. like mm-hmm. I feel like Wendy's a lot stronger than you'd think. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's going through something <laughs> unthinkable, yeah. un- yeah. unspeakable, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I think she kind of holds it together fairly well. Yeah. Gets Danny out the window. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. she she gets it done. Yeah. She locks the room whenever she can after she finds out there's a crazy woman. Yeah. Yeah. And She's sitting by him at the TV. She keeps asking him if he's all right. Uh-huh. Yeah, she's a great mom. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and honestly, she she kind of won when she locked him in the dry food storage. Yeah, room, right. Yeah. yeah, it's like, well, that's just unfair that the ghost let him out. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, because she knocked him out with a bat. Yeah, and at that point, it's like, well, she beat him, kind yeah. of, because mm-hmm. she he's locked, he can't get out. But right. then other She's things, just waiting for the you know, rescue. And they don't yeah. even bother to, to say like, oh, how did you get out? They're just like, he's back. I have to deal with it again. I've got a knife. Yeah. Yep. Save yep. the kid. Like, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah. I mean, sure, she screams and cries during the whole thing, but at least she does it, though. Yeah. Like, who wouldn't? She doesn't yeah. just let it happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So Adam is not a fan of horror. No. And he graciously <laughs> watched this movie with us. Why? <laughs> so we're going to ask him now. Where would you rank this movie on the scare meter? Yeah. On the scary meter, yeah. I would, hmm, I'm going to give it a 6.5 okay. on the scary meter. Wow. Because it is pretty damn scary. <laughs> it's above average scary. Mm-hmm. But this movie likes to make you just feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. You don't necessarily get jumped scared and like horrifying monsters kind mm-hmm. of scary. Right. But you feel yeah. off the entire time. And yeah. that Just... uneasiness is what this movie yeah. like yeah. strives yeah. or like succeeds most in. You only mm-hmm. jump when Tuesday comes up. Tuesday. I mean, <laughs> Tuesday. I'll never look at Tuesday the same Yeah, way. the most terrifying day of the week. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, like, don't get me wrong. It is scary. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's a different kind of scary. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's psychological, yes. suspenseful. Yes. Yeah. So I, I love all of that. You know, you watch it. I just don't like to watch it alone in the dark at night or <laughs> yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but I agree. It's you know, and even you know, doing the research late at night and and writing the episode mm-hmm. late at night it still gave me a creepy feeling. You know. Yeah. yeah. This movie grips you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't yeah. let you go. Yeah. You know? yeah. So would you watch it again? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> now that you know how it's been. funny, yeah, it's funny because if you would ask me that right after we finished watching, mm-hmm. I'd have been like, no. <laughs> but but now I'm like, you know what? Maybe it gets yeah. better each time you watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I wouldn't watch it alone. No, no. you know, no. I yeah, would say just not. 
not alone. Well, you know, if there's someone else you know that doesn't hasn't seen it, just show it to that person. Yeah. And then yeah. just kind of because yeah. you, you'll you'll like it more and more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or if it's on TV. Yeah. And yeah. somebody else is already watching. I might sit down. Yeah. But, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because there's something about it that's just so weird. If you're if you're not gripped by the suspense anymore, you can look at just the mystery and the weirdness of it. Yeah. And you know what? That is kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah Even as somebody who doesn't yeah. like horror, so much you're trying to figure out and understand. Yeah. And you know that Kubrick would never give an explanation, so you just kind of have to. Yeah. Yeah. And you know. I will just. I swear I'll figure out that that weird bear mask guy <laughs> for two seconds. What? <laughs> what is that? There's lots and lots of theories. Yeah, yes. I know. But yeah, that was just the that was the single weirdest moment of the whole. Movie. It's just like I was so taken aback by that second. I was like, yeah. What the hell was that? <laughs> Didn't even mention yeah. it. She just nope. looked at it yeah. and then turned. Like, yeah, she looked horrified and then <laughs> the, like ran away. In the book, there there is characters that do that, uh, but right. it's a dog mask. Uh huh. Yeah. So it's like they were being faithful, but also I think they had a very intentional thing thing they were trying to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ugh, weird, man. <laughs> <laughs> so would you recommend it to people that don't like scary movies? You know, yeah. um, I think I would if you don't start here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think if you start with something else, I I don't want to just say poltergeist because that's where I started, yeah. but something like a poltergeist where it's not really about the horror. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about the family or it's like you could even dabble in things that are like hokey horror, like old, you know, old monster yeah. movies like Dracula kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you get into the vibe a little bit of what what scares us and what mm-hmm. scares you. Yeah. What are you afraid of? That kind of stuff. And then maybe take on The Shining just to to have that real grip, intensity, right? Suspense, yeah. you know. Yeah. But so I would say don't start with The Shining, but if you want to get into horror, eventually, yeah, yeah, I would recommend it. Might too. be a good step three, to step two. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You know, some just uh, step up. <laughs> yeah. You know, but the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next movie we're gonna make, Adam. No. Watch. Yes. Uh, <laughs> refuse. That's where I'm out. Oh my goodness. That's, see, oh. see, that's. That is really the pinnacle of horror that I don't like mm-hmm. because yeah. it's about slashing people up. And I'm like, mm, slasher movies. No, yeah. thanks. All right. The Shining is a staple in the horror genre. At first glance, it's a loose adaptation of a book and a regular scare fest. But upon another look, it's a layered masterpiece that still has audiences questioning its meaning over 40 years later. The Shining gives us a story that is inherently terrifying, attacking the things we all hold dear and tossing some spooks in for good measure. It's a film bathed in uneasiness, suspense, and sometimes confusion. It makes you question your own mind as you watch a man slip into madness before your very eyes. Stanley Kubrick was such a perfectionist. The Shining is exactly what he intended for it to be. And what that was, we'll never truly know. But at least we get to enjoy it forever and ever and ever. No. Don't do that. I need myself a snowcat. I'm gonna get out of here. (laughs) You know, it it's it's such a weird movie. I don't plan on doing much more. You know, I don't want to like dabble into the Stephen King universe now just because of seeing The Shining. But but as somebody who doesn't like that stuff, I can see why 
people like this kind of stuff. And I can see why he's so popular because it's unlike anything else. Yeah. Sure, yeah. the movie is different, but it's got enough of that same feel to it, at least from my perspective. I don't yeah. know about people who've read the book maybe say see that differently, but it's so unique that I totally understand why it's become the classic that it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just glad yeah, people, what it was is people didn't really get it or like it at first. And then when they were right. able to watch it over and over again, mm-hmm. they were like, oh. I get it. I think I like this. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I guess it's another case closed. Thank you so much for listening. Yay. This Thank is you. probably the end of Frightening February, Thank at least Christ. for now. Yeah. Uh, Monstrous March or whatever it is that we're doing. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much. And uh, you can find our show at blackcasediaries.com. We have show notes, sources, links, videos, all kinds of stuff, that, little extra tidbits if you want yeah. to learn more about the movies we talk about or the people or the concepts. We do yes. all those things. Please mm-hmm. do check it out. We'll put that, that little documentary, the making stuff that we mentioned a bunch in this episode. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. pretty dang cool to watch. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is actually really interesting. And we also have another show, No Small Parts. If you are interested in that, it's an audio drama. You can subscribe to that. It's called BCD Presents No Small Parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I believe if you search No Small Parts, it will still come up. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah, you can find it on any podcast player that you choose. Yeah. And I think that's it, guys. Is there anything else? Oh, we have Twitter, Instagram, you know. Yeah. yeah. Patreon. Patreon. Yeah. Oh, you know what, Patreon. guys? I want to thank our patrons. Yes. I want to thank Jacqueline, JD, John, Jacob, Joel, Anthony, Shelley, and Linda. Yes. Hooray. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Yes. yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah. You. So, all right. Well, Bye. see you next time. Well, you can rest assured, Mr. Ullman, that's not going to happen with me. And uh, as far as my wife is concerned, uh, I'm sure she'll be absolutely fascinated when I tell her about it. She's a uh, confirmed ghost story and horror film addict. (laughs) 